Linux Jam, combining Linux news with Creative Commons goodness. Hello and welcome to Tux Jam episode 31. And uh, this is a, a special edition of Tux Jam for H- HPR, Hacker Public uh, Radio, uh, which I've been listening to quite a bit recently. So hello to all the HPR folks and hello to my co-host Kevy. How are you tonight, Kevy? Hello, hello, and a big hello to everybody actually out at the HPR listeners. So I think this is maybe the second or possibly even third Tux Jam that's gone out in HPR. But uh, to be fair, we didn't actually acknowledge it in the last one because it was a bit of an afterthought. So if you actually think, yeah, I'm liking this, then please be, feel free to become a regular listener to the show. The the more the merrier. We're quite happy. Yes, uh, I am well tonight. Uh, how are you tonight, Andrew? Yes, I'm fine. Fine. Yes, I'm quite uh, full of uh, full of excitement about various open sourcey type things uh, that I've encountered in the last week. Um, but uh, to begin with, shall we do our usual roundup of obscure distros on DistroWatch? Yes, why not? And one of my favourite obscure distros. Although to be fair, it's not actually that obscure anymore. And that is uh, Tails, because it seems to be becoming well known for a fairly small distro. I've used this uh, quite a few times. Now, for those who don't know, Tails is, it's a live CD. I I actually think the last time I tried it, which was only about two months ago, but uh, I think the last time I tried it, it was still, uh, it was still on a live CD, but there was an option to install it, which uh, to me personally made, (laughs) made a lot of the stuff that was maybe very positive about it for security and features, etc. I thought that kind of, might well have, uh, like I said, nullified that if you were to actually install it as your main base. It's based on Debian Stable, and boy, you, it really is based on Debian Stable. I'm pretty sure the last time I had it, it was uh, still not even Mate, or Mate, whichever one you want to call it. It was uh, Gnome 2 that was the actual desktop, so it uh, certainly did feel like it was uh, one back in the good old days. But yeah, one of my, I must admit, for all my live CDs, it really is one of my favorites. Big emphasis on security. Uh, everything, you know, Tor, everything's uh, set up by default. Uh, actually, to be honest, the one thing I've not tried on it is uh, the mail. I don't know if mail encryption is, and things like that are set up by default. And I didn't uh, try to put in any emails through the. Oh, I can't even remember. Was the likes of Thunderbird or anything? Did it come with it? Oh, I've not tried Tails, so uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what mail client it has. It seems to come with uh, Firefox, Ice Weasel. So it's not Thunderbird. It's the mail client. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I just can't remember. But if you haven't actually tried, then uh, like I said, I would highly recommend if you're fancying a live CD. Uh, if you want a bit of extra security, then go for it. Okay, yes, I must must look into that one. The, the first uh, on the list of DistroWatch today, the 20th of March, as I look at it, is something called Web Converger, which I've not heard of before. And it's a Linux distro, Debian-based. I think it might be Debian-stable, from what it says, although I'm not entirely sure. Um, uh, but the interesting thing is it only has one application, uh, and that's Firefox. It's essentially a, a web kiosk uh, version of it. Uh, and this is um, 
Web Converger 24, and it's three months since the release of Web Converger 23, and I wonder, no, no, the 23 doesn't refer to the Firefox version, because the Firefox version is very recent, it's 28. Um, so that's quite, quite, quite interesting. I did try to use it earlier today, I loaded a live ISO uh, into VirtualBox, and it promptly crashed uh, and didn't load up. And in fact, my laptop crashed shortly thereafter, which uh, I don't think it's ever done before. I don't know if it was related <laughs> to WebConverger, so uh, I don't uh, don't want to malign its name uh, with my bad experience there. Um, but I, I like the sound of it, and it seems like they're trying to make a business out of it and charge support. You, know, you can use it for free, but if you're if you're if you're a, a commercial customer and they mention a, a Swiss bank or something was using it, um, then uh, they then you can pay for support for it. Which so so a, a nice uh, open source uh, type model. Yeah, take note, please, British banks who are still running XP, you know. Uh, I think this would be a great idea for you to move over now. And uh, what better thing than that? Something that's free, but you just pay for support. Yeah, I like that. But mind you, it does seem a bit dubious that. It's free, but pay for support. And you tried it and it uh, crashed the machine twice. <laughs> uh, call me, uh, call me uh, a conspiracy theorist. Uh? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, my machine actually only crashed once. It crashed VirtualBox both times. <laughs> just to just to make sure uh, I'm being fair to the distribution. Oh, well, fair enough. Now, there's one here that appeared, and to be <laughs> to be uh, quite honest, I was uh, rather annoyed it appeared so quickly because I only, I only downloaded a slightly older version of this last week, and it's Sparky Linux. And Sparky Linux, it's uh, the one that's been released this time has been Mate, XFCE, and a base version. Now, it's based on Debian testing, and the, they have a heck of a lot of, uh, a heck of a lot of des desktop environments that you can actually do. I don't think they've got, like, an ultimate DVD. This does seem to want you to download whichever one you want. But, uh, I haven't actually gone around to trying it yet, but one of the things from the, looking on through the website is that they really do put an awful lot of time and effort into presentation. The stuff looks really nice. At times, maybe a wee bit too Mac-ish for my liking. It's it seems to rely on docs and just about every one of their versions that I've seen. But it you know it certainly does look highly polished, and I'm quite looking forward to uh, actually trying this out and seeing what it's like. Yeah, Sparky Linux is a new one on me. I've never never uh, heard of it before, let alone tried it. And it's uh, another Debian-based uh, distribution, Mate XFCE. Uh, an open box as, as, a, as a lightweight uh, starting point edition. <laughs> yeah, I think I might, that's something I may give a go. Uh, the one uh, that caught my eye a few days ago, 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day, although I don't think it's got anything Irish about it, uh, was the release of uh, Tiny Core uh, or Pi Core, because it's a Tiny Core Linux for the Raspberry Pi. Now, if you've not come across um, Tiny Core bef before, it's uh, I think it's 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 uh, fair to say it's, it's the successor of damn small Linux, and uh, and I played around with it a few years ago quite extensively, and I really did enjoy using it. Um, it's not something that I really conceive myself using day to day, but you know I see it, since it's so lightweight and so tiny, I can really see it being a, a useful way to build up a very lean. Uh, light bone system uh, on a Raspberry Pi. Uh, I haven't tried it out yet, but I think I will, because uh, I've got a Raspberry Pi, of course. Um, uh, and uh, 
have a have a player on with that and maybe report in the future Tux Jam about my experiences. Yeah, I've got a spare Raspberry Pi actually sitting right beside me at the minute, so that could be something to try out. I've I've never tried TinyCore, to be honest, uh, but the one thing that, uh, that people who I've often spoken to have tried it, they all say about how surprised they are with actually how much you can do on it. They're not expecting just a, you know, log into a graphical environment with pretty much nothing. But, uh, you know, everybody always says that. No, I'm really, I'm pleasantly surprised by it. So, like I said, not one I've ever tried, but... I remember somebody else saying that it's if you want to learn about Linux, then it's a good one to be on. But uh, given by that point, I'd already built up my Gen 2 system. I thought, <laughs> I can't be bothered going back and learning a whole new way to do it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point, actually, because I think it attracted me because I felt it had similarities with Slackware. It was very simple. And part of the reason it was simple is that really it was the product of a very small team like Slackware. In fact, you could even argue it's like we're still just one person, although I think that's pushing it a bit far. Um, and um, I forget the name of the chap, uh, Robert, uh, let's see, uh, Robert Shingledecker. What a great name, Robert Shingledecker. I'll say that again. Uh, yeah, so he was the brains behind it. And I think he's not been terribly well uh, all the way through the development. Uh, but I, I do feel that it's got the, it's the opposite end of the spectrum to, to Debian, for example, where it's a, a big democratic uh, team. Uh, it's a small, tight team with tiny core Linux, and that gives it a character which appealed to me. Yes, indeed. Now then, the only other one that really kind of caught my eye was one that I've seen before, and I don't know why, I've always kind of fancied it, but I've just never got around to it. And it's a Slackware-based one, and it's Porteous. And the this is one that, like I said, it's, it's kind of caught my eye. I've never tried it. It always seems to come with a a plentiful supply of desktop environments, you know, because you seem to be able to get uh, LXD, KDE, and uh, Mate, or Mate, or XFC. It's because it's it always seems to have quite a wide variety, and it's something that I must admit I always actually wanted to try, but it's just been on my to-do list. You know, probably a bit like a BSD. It's it's on my to-do list, and I, don't, I haven't quite written it off yet. It's just uh, something I haven't gotten around to. No, I've never tried uh, Porteous either, but I couldn't help noticing that there was a sudden run of uh, Slackware-based distributions. So there was Slackle on the 8th of March, and then there was Porteous released on the 11th. Then the day after, on the 12th, there was the Slackle edition of uh, Puppy Linux. So I don't really know why that would have been the case, because there hasn't been a Slackware release all that recently. So it's flat 14.1 came out fairly recently, but then Slacko Puppy says it's built from Slackware 14.0, uh, which I don't understand, because uh, that's not the latest release. Uh, anyway, I'm glad to see that uh, people are still building on top of Slackware. Uh, I can see the I can see the value in that. So I, I like Slackware, obviously. So, uh, but yeah, Porteous is one that uh, one that I'd like to have a look at as well. Well, what's, what I always found interesting was it really is highly customizable. It's not one that uh, when you you know, you just go and download the image. You actually go and you click on the download page and it's almost like it's a semi-build. So like the first thing it'll ask you is, what architecture do you want? 64, 32. Do you want a GUI or do you just want a console only? You know, a text. And then it says, right, select your desktop. Now with a the desktop, there's actually, I didn't notice, this has been added since the last time I looked. Uh, it's actually got Razer QT. So I'll be very interested in trying out their implementation of that. And then you're going further down, you know, it even asks you, right, what things like web browsers do you want? 
It, you know, do you want multiple? Do you just want one? It, what word processors, etc. So, you know, I, all that, I must admit, is a... Uh, I'm quite interested with all that just because it's not something that's, it's something that's going to be different each time. It's not something that's uh, the same, you know, just as standard off the shelf. There's your uh, token packages. There you go. Yeah, that is, that is uh, quite an interesting ap- approach. So you, so you get to do your choices before you even do the download. Yeah, it's it's like asks you to build. It's it's in fact if you want to go to it's build.porteus.org and it's from there you can actually decide how much or how little you want and it at the bottom it'll even tell you uh you know current ISO size. So it's you know even if you want to say well I you know I'd like to keep it on a DVD or keep it on a CD sorry rather than a DVD or I want to keep it under 500 megs I'm a bit short of settings this month. So you know it's uh, sorry settings uh, short of uh bandwidth this month then you can do that so this is what really appealed to me i must admit but it's just one of those things i have not uh gotten round to doing to be honest well if you're ever feeling a bit short of settings of course you should try the kde edition of porteous and i'm sure you won't feel short anymore ah that's very true although to be honest have you ever honestly in your life felt short of settings as a linux user i think we we have plenty of settings that can <laughs> uh, keep us occupied for now and doomsday i have to say having used uh unity uh, on ubuntu for a wee while i am feeling slightly short in settings <laughs> it's not quite as setting full as kde was anyway on that note shall uh, shall we go to our first tune Yes, indeed. And this is one that uh, I got, and I have to thank Jamstreamer for, because it uh, played me this at random the other day, and I really liked it. And this is Tamara Laurel with the song Sweet.
Welcome back, and now we're going to have uh, a little uh, account of uh, Kevy's experience uh, making some video tutorials, um, and uh, I've just watched uh, one of the videos just now, and actually <laughs> it was not only informative, but entertaining, I would say as well. So, of course, we'll put the link in the, in the show notes. The videos are on Vimeo for your... Uh, if you're viewing it uh, now or at some later date. Um, but Kevy, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you did? Yes, well, you said last time, let's have something that plays to our strengths. And I thought, well, to be honest, you know, Minecraft really isn't going to be that good for a Geeks podcast. So I thought, yeah, fair enough. I can't really just kind of do it. I was thinking about a Minecraft Let's Play. And I thought, oh, my word, they've been done to death, to be honest. So I actually was thought, uh, right, one of the things that uh, we do in in school is we do a project and it's just basically the kids make up a totally new film. So to do that, they essentially take some actors' faces, cut out the background and then put them in different scenarios. And one of the problems is you've got teachers there who, you know, they still basically remember using the slate to write on. And, you know, the, the computers are still an evil thing, but it's part of the curriculum now, so... They one of the things that we've got to do is they've got to be able to teach the kids how to uh, put up the sorry take out the background using GIMP. And one of the things I'm always getting is, will you come in and teach that? So I thought, right, I'm going to make up a tutorial on how to do this, and that saves me the effort of having to run through this each and every time. So th this was very much a kind of practical as well as. Uh, uh, entertainment and uh, for tux jump purposes this this was very much a practical thing so to start with the well obviously the tutorial is on gimp and i uploaded it to vimeo just purely because i think uh, google have enough of our data as it is without adding more to youtube so you don't have to have a vimeo account or anything to watch it you can just click on the links links it'll be in the show notes and the first thing i used was a very simple program and it's called gtk record my desktop now, there really isn't an awful lot of uh, of settings you can actually do in this. It is just pretty much a record button, not a pause button. The only things you can do are record with or without sound. You can increase the frame rate, but that's pretty much it. Uh, or you can choose to actually record the whole thing, uh, the whole screen, or just a part of it. I found the part bit, bit a wee bit fiddly to use. Uh, the first actual problem I encountered was default settings i tried it and it was blank this uh, sorry the video worked but the sound was completely blank nothing there at all and we better work on that but all it actually is it's because it seems to have been pre-pulse audio so it's got different settings and 
So all you've got to do is just go into your settings and for sound settings, it's actually very simple. All you've got to do is take out the word sound and put in the word pulse. So that was the the rather annoying feature I had to work around. I was quite surprised really that this wasn't either part of it or part of like an initial setup. What do you use? Alsa, Jack, Pulse, whatever. So uh, that was a bit annoying. But apart from that, it did actually work very seamlessly. Uh, it popped up initially with a wee window. And when you hit the record, the window completely disappeared. And it puts it into the taskbar, uh, which just essentially you click on to either pause the recording or completely stop the recording. So uh, to be honest, that was actually very simple, straightforward, apart from the sound issue. And the one good thing about uh, Record My Desktop was that everything was done in uh, open format. So the sound was recorded in OG and the video itself was an OG video. So it was it was really, it, it was uh, nice to see that rather than producing an MP3 and MP4, etc. So that was a good start. Oh, that was a good start because, uh, uh, well, it was a good, it was a good, good job you managed to get it done. Because I've had real problems recording videos uh, on Linux. I have to say it has been a bit of a weak spot. I like record my desktop. I have used it, but occasionally I found that it, it, it didn't work in the way I uh, expected. And in one case, I think I even had to, um, I had to resort to using Jack. <laughs> of all things, to get the audio to work. But uh, but that was a while ago, so that's probably not relevant now. Right, and yeah, so that at least got me my video. And after two blimmin' annoying phone calls later, and worst of it was, the reason I'm saying annoying is, of course, when a ring ringing goes off in the background, you can, can't really use that one anymore. And the best of it is, it was one person was a... There was one person who told me my Windows computer had a virus on it, and another person was trying to sell me PPI insurance or something like that. P- well, PPI claims, and I'm like, yeah, clear off, not interested in the slightest. So that annoyed me. But once I had all that, I started to have a wee look at what I can use to start putting this together, because I didn't just want to do it in that rough a format that it just was the start of a video and then it ended with me clicking up at the top. And, of course, I wanted to double-check to make sure there's nothing else I could do with it. So, how do we look at video editors? Now, I've heard that this is generally a weak spot on Linux, and I had a look at a few. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I had a look at several, and there's one big discrepancy, I think, one big piece missing here, and that is there doesn't seem to be any that's at middle of the road that I could find. I'm not saying they don't exist, just one of the ones that I none that I could find of video editors. They all seem to be either incredibly complicated and essentially unusable for a novice or they were actually way too simple and and (laughs) as much as it annoys me to be honest but I actually plugged for the simple purely because I thought I want to get this video done in time for TuxJam so the one I went for which I thought offered the best features was one called OpenShot Video Editor which is actually a very common one which is not very TuxJam like at all but I think you said it already videos in general on Linux are pretty poor or should I say video editing stuff so I thought if I go for a completely obscure one one I don't know if it'll work and two the documentation on it's probably going to be pretty poor and the support will be next to next to nothing so that's the reason I went for it in the end open shot uh, have you had similar experiences Andrew no I, in fact I've never actually attempted to edit a video 
ever. I've always chickened out and got somebody else to do it. Um, uh, and it's only recently I've started editing my own audio too. I've always skated around that one as well. Um, but so recording my desktop and you know sharing a screencast or something like that. Yeah, I've done that a lot. But uh, um, but no, I've never actually used any video editing software. I think partly part of the reason I'm put off doing it is because I feel I will discover that I might wish I was in some other operating system that might be a bit more proprietary than Linux. Um, but that said, I know there are good ones on Linux and uh, I'm sure we're going to get plenty of feedback on this point. So uh, I invite it, in fact, what, you know, if our listeners tell us what they recommend for a complete noob in video editing like me on Linux, uh, please tell me uh, and I'll give it a go. Yes, indeed. Well, the one I planned for, as I said, was uh, OpenShot, and it opens with uh, just really two tracks and, or two empty tracks, should I say, and it says it invites you to put in audio and video files. So I did that. It kind of reminded me a wee bit of Audacity with the way the tracks and things opened up. However, the one thing that annoyed me was I couldn't find any way. With Audacity, it's very easy to sync up tracks. You know, if you're putting multiple tracks together, it's very, very easy to make sure they line up. I found that very, very difficult. It was a wee bit hit and miss. They It allowed me to add titles and things very easily, which I did, and it's a very basic title. I mean, nothing fancy at all. Uh, I did try this an option for 3D titles, animated titles, and I tried one of them, and... I think after 20 minutes, it was still at 0.2%. And I just thought, oh, forget it. I'd have to leave that running overnight. So I just kind of gave up on the animated titles. So I went back and just as a normal title, just to introduce the video. And they have fades and different things like that. But again, the way it play, I don't like the way it places them because you're just going to place them quite randomly. So... I've got to kind of fade out and fade in in between my title and the video. Now, the first time I did it, I just did title, fade in, video. That was it, whole video. And I was thinking, okay, right, let's try that. Yeah, that's fine. And then I thought, well, the problem is, you can check this out on Vimeo. The first one is the rather more unedited version because it just shows me removing the background. And I try and waffle a wee bit, but... Overall, it's quite a boring part. So when I looked at it, I just thought, well, you know, once they get the gist, I don't, they don't need to see me doing the rest of it. So then I thought, well, wait a minute. I've seen this with the Minecraft Let's Plays. If somebody says, right, I'm just going to dig straight down and head for bedrock. You know, they don't often just show that. Instead, they either cut it or, and this is my pref- personal preference, was speed it up a bit. So I sped it up and... I th- I tried to just get one segment of the video to speed up, but then I discovered that seemed impossible. I just couldn't do it. Not not with open shot anyway. So this was where it became a wee bit of a problem, because uh, with well, like I said about the accuracy part, I just could not find a way to get them lined up. So what I had to do in the end was there was I, I discovered two ways to actually do this. I can't remember the. Uh, I think it might have been just FFmpeg I used, but initially I found FFmpeg to be the best way to actually just clip parts off the video. So, and that was just a case of, right, okay, well, I want to take the last, you know, 20 seconds off the video, just use the command for that, that worked. Uh, 
because I wanted that completely deleted. There is an option to trim or to remove the last part in OpenShot, but the problem there was it only did it temporarily. If you duplicated that video, it would just add the bit back on, which I got rather annoyed with. So that's what I did there. So I trimmed it down to the bits I wanted to keep. So I got rid of a wee bit at the start when I was kind of clicking about, and then a wee bit at the end where I was just basically stopping the recording. And I, what I did there was I duplicated the video three times. And the bit that I wanted to cut out, what I did was on the first copy, I just stopped until the bit I wanted to cut out or wanted to speed up. And I stopped the video there. Then I, on my second copy, I just kept the bit that was just going to be sped up. And then on the third copy, I got rid of, ev I got rid of everything before the the end of the part I want to speed up. So if you understand, I've kind of got three parts now and I was there trying to line them up with each other. However, even with snap on though, there's an option to snap. It still did not uh, work very well with a line. I was zooming right in and I'm, I got to the point where I was zooming into stupid. I was seeing kind of nanoseconds and it was still, I was thinking, right, this still isn't snapping anywhere. So that one, that bit really did kind of annoy me a wee bit, but it, it did work out in the end. Now, when I actually sped up the bit, I put them all together and I thought, yeah, that's okay, but I think we really need some something for this. And the only thing I could get, I couldn't get it out of my head at all, was the Benny Hill theme tune. <laughs> so I just uh, had to use, uh, I think I got it down to something like, there's uh, maybe tw 10, 12 seconds of sped up video. So I just thought, right, well, that's not Creative Commons, but I just uh, decided I'd use that 12 seconds as fair, as, uh, fair use so uh, I I happen to just go onto YouTube and find one where it actually says this is YouTube uh, standard licensing. So how do we look at that? Yep, that's okay. That allows me to remix this this standard license as long as I don't pay, as long as I don't charge for it. So uh, not so sure actually how genuine that YouTube license is, but anyway. So I put that and when I stuck it all together, I was actually quite happy with it and I put it all up and that's the second version of the video. And to be honest, that's the one I'd actually recommend you go and have a look. Uh, just for just more for entertainment value more than anything else because it does have about the first one has maybe about 40 to 50 seconds where it's just me clicking the mouse which probably isn't that much used uh, or that even that interesting to anybody unless you really do happen to love watching photo editing indeed so uh, uh, I was uh, just thinking there in case we have overseas listeners that are not familiar with Benny Hill he was a comedian in Britain, primarily famous for having chase scenes uh, speeded up with the music that you'll hear in the video. Um, and usually women were involved as well. Am I remembering that correctly, Kevy? Uh, yes, and as it's a family-friendly show, I'll, I'll just say uh, women with a... How can I... I'll say scantily clad, and that's it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Yes, the kind of comedy that in 1970s, early 80s Britain was absolutely fine, but you'd never see these days. And in fact, I haven't. In fact, YouTube's probably the only place you'd find it now because nobody would want to broadcast it. Although it could be quite funny and somehow it lives on in the culture. Yeah, if you've ever seen a carry-on film, it's that kind of humour. You know, it's not a, It's certainly not what the internet provides now. It's more kind of uh, cheeky, let's see. But uh, yeah, so that was what I ended up doing, and the the result of it was the the result of it was that 
what you can go and see on uh, Vimeo. As I said, so check out the show notes for the links. The, the How would I describe my overall experience? Well, I would say record my desktop after I got it working, but that one just, that simple thing infuriated me. Just the fact that it was such a simple, simple thing that uh, wouldn't allow me to record anything. But uh, that annoyed me. Apart from that, I was quite happy with it. With OpenShot, I would certainly recommend... It's probably ideal for something along the lines of somebody who's coming over from Windows and wants something that's a change from a replacement for Windows Movie Maker or something like that. It's It would be great for putting together clips and things or your pictures and sticking together... Uh, sticking together music with it, things like that, that would be utterly fantastic. However, for what I did, chopping and changing the video, it to me, it was just a bit too fiddly and a bit too inaccurate. I like things to line up. I like to be able to match things up. And it just didn't offer that for me. So uh, that's the big down point for me. But it, it to be fair, it is usable. There are some things with it you can... I'm not saying you can't do anything. You can clip stuff. You can change the speed of the videos. You can set the volume. You know, if you think the volume's too high, too low, uh, you can actually fade in the videos. You can add transitions, things like that. I would quite like to see. Maybe my PC just doesn't have enough go in it. But, you know, I've, I've not got that small a PC, but the, or sorry, not that low powered a PC. But the, I would really like to have seen what those animations look like. So to give you an idea, this, uh, my one, my system is, it was too slow, I think, for my system for animations. And my system is a quad core, uh, 3.3, and it had eight, it's got 8 gig of RAM. So it's not, no, it's not that certain at the top of the range, but it's certainly not really that underpowered. But uh, it just shows you how much you're going to need if you want to start playing about with animations. Yes, and, and one question that I want to know the answer to is, when the, the guy phoned you up telling you your Windows computer had a virus, did you say, no, I'm using Linux, but I do wonder if you can help me with my GIMP video? <laughs> no, I did not. Uh, I wasn't anywhere near that polite to the guy. <laughs> 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 well, I think it's probably time for another tune, don't you think? Yes, I've probably bored our loyal listeners enough. So, or maybe, or saying that, maybe not so, maybe not so loyal after that. <laughs> Guys in Hacker Public Radio are probably saying, oh, clear off, I'm not listening to this clown again. <laughs> right then, so we're probably <laughs> a wee bit to wake you up. And this is Model Airplanes with Innocent Love.
And hope that woke you up a wee bit after listening to my waffle. So it's time for me to shut up for a wee while. And Andrew is going to talk about... Well, I'm not a coder, so I'm not 100% sure. I know it's Python related. I think it's NumPy and SciPy, but uh, I'm, don't quote me on that. Anyway, I'm going to hand you over to Andrew, who is, like I said, going to talk uh, about something that is probably going to baffle me completely. So don't be too... Uh, shocked if you hear me inter- inter- uh, let me start that again if you hear me interrupting him a few times and saying what the heck's that <laughs> yes thanks KB um, yes it's my turn to waffle and my waffle is going to be about my recent adventures as KB said with Python uh, and in particular NumPy which is basically modules that add to Python's ability to process numerical data and arrays, and SciPy, which adds in lots of uh, useful functions for doing scientific stuff. Uh, Now, I'm not going to go into a huge amount of depth uh, on those, because I don't think we have time, and uh, you know I don't want to lose too many listeners by going all technical. Um, But uh, what impressed me was the adoption that this open-source software suite is getting in the scientific community. Uh, now, as regular listeners might know that I am a scientist myself, and I was many years worked in professional science doing uh, research, uh, and it was in solar physics, physics of the sun. Um, and I haven't done that in the last 10 years, though I still dabble now and again. Uh, and recently, I started playing around with Python and NumPy and SciPy, uh, analyzing images of comets, uh, well, it was images of the sun in which comets happen to appear. So uh, I was looking at that. And uh, interesting little nod back to Kevy's segment, um, the chap who had written the, the, the go-to webpage on hunting comets in this way actually recommends, during the article, using GIMP to do some of the image processing. So you know, another nod in the direction that uh, you know these highly technical astrobots uh, really get the whole op- open source software goodies that are uh, on offer. Now, uh, what I've been looking at this week though is something a bit different, because if you've been looking at the news, especially the science-related uh, news, uh, you might have heard that on Monday some scientists working on something called the BICEP two. Uh, telescope, which is a telescope that's down in uh, Antarctica, uh, announced that they had found uh, signatures in uh, what's called the cosmic microwave background. And it's uh, the cosmic microwave background is, in a loose sense, you can think of it as the afterglow of the Big Bang that happened right at the start of the universe. And there's been a lot of controversy on this because it's been determined that the early universe suddenly accelerated, expanded extremely rapidly, and uh, uh, and then it slowed down and it's carrying on expanding at a slower rate just now. But of course, nobody was around back then to watch this super fast expansion. But what they've seen is evidence of ripples in space-time that were caused back then that were predicted to be seen. Nobody had seen them before, but the theory that was a bit controversial, the theory is called inflation, which adds on to the Big Bang model of the universe, the theory predicts you would see these ripples manifest in the in the light emitted by uh, the cosmic microwave background from the, uh, from the early phase of our universe. And they found these ripples, not quite as they expected to, but still very similar to what they expected. 
Now, that's enough astronomy for the moment. Um, but the thing that really impressed me about this was, um, uh, well, first of all, it was good to see, from my point of view, good to see some, some decent uh, reporting of the science in the media, uh, at all levels of the media, from mainstream media through to blogs, uh, posts, and, well, I don't follow Twitter, but I, I know there was probably quite a lot of activity there too. Um, uh, there was a few bits and pieces I would quibble with, like it, there was no direct detection of gravitational waves. That would be nice if it was, but it wasn't that. I have friends at Glasgow University down the road who uh, who work in exactly that, and they would be mighty excited if that was the case. But what actually really impressed me, coming back to the whole uh, openness of it, was that the team, when they published the data, they created a, a website, and I'll put this in the show notes, but it's bicepkek.org. Uh, and they put everything in a nice simple format on that website. You know, very clean CSS, just data, papers, press release, images, and even uh, a tarball that wraps up all the data and the Python code that you need to uh, run it. So uh, if there's time, I might put a, a little screencast video, uh, which will be much uh much more poorly edited than Kevy's effort uh, of me doing this. Um, but today I downloaded the tarball, untarred it, um, read a readme, and then typed the Python command, and bingo, I uh, within hmm, a few minutes it had done the processing and I had reduced some of the data that came from this BICEP2 experiment. Didn't at this point really understand what the data meant, I have to say, <laughs> even though I have a background in the subject, this is very specific stuff. But I thought this is impressive. They've, they've really opened uh, out their their data here and they've made it so somebody who's conversant with Python and has NumPy and SciPy installed, those are the two only two requirements to get it to work, uh, they can be they can start work with the data in minutes, even if they don't quite understand what it means. But to be fair, they they, they had links to papers and various levels, all the way from press releases up to highly technical documents that would help you get started if you, well, had a degree in the the relevant sciences. So, yeah, that that, that was impressive. And if you don't have NumPy and SciPy installed, well, well, I was working at this in an Ubuntu laptop, so uh, a couple of apt-get installs, apt-get uh, apt install python-numpy, python-scipy, and bingo, I would have had all the dependencies uh, there and ready. Um, so I have to say, I was really impressed uh, at uh, how they not just used open source software, but opened up all their information for, for all to see and others to verify. So, free in the true sense of the word, yeah, that's that's actually excellent. I mean, that's not just a case of, uh, you know, giving the stuff away for free. That's showing everything. So, all data, everything, plus the tool, all the tools they used and recommended were all open source. That's that's excellent to hear. Yes, the only thing I should say is the Python code didn't have a license on it. Uh, it said who written it. So implicitly, it was copyright to them, but they never they never actually put a license on it, and that's still quite common uh, in academic circles. Is when I talk to academics about licensing software, they they haven't a clue. Uh, they don't sometimes they don't even know how heavily they rely on open source software. But then, to be fair, nor do most people. You know, when they're using an Android phone, for example. No, well, that's the truth. And I suppose that the matter, the point of it is. 
you know, we can we can all be preachy at you know, and we all feel like it at the time, but more, you know, average Joe on the street does not care that Linux is open source. You know, they don't care how open anything is. They're wanting the user experience. But, you know, the likes of the, that, like you were saying in the education part, is uh, with special lectures and things, the problem there is that if you don't license and don't make it clear, in this day and age where it's so litigious, people will probably just avoid using stuff if there's a grey area. Either that or if they just if they want to risk it, fine. But, you know, it's it, it's I suppose that's somewhere where we really need to educate people of what the licenses are. Because I had I gave somebody recently uh, who's actually quite computer minded. He's quite into computers. I gave somebody a a bit recently, and I said, "Copy this out, get it printed, hand it all out." Oh, you can't! It's copyrighted. No, no, no. That stuff's under Creative Commons. You can distribute it as all you want. Just don't sell it. Oh no, I can't! It's against copyright. I'm going to, uh, banging my head off. But uh, you know, the, the likes of when people leave it kind of open. I I, I don't know. Is there a law in Britain? Like there is in Germany, where everything's copyrighted until uh, it's stated otherwise. Like if there's no, there's no such thing as public domain as such. It, you know, there is such a thing as public domain, but it doesn't default to that. So you've got to say, um, I think the assumption is that the creator of the work owns the copyright, unless unless you're working for a, an organisation, a company, in which case it belongs to the company usually, unless you've got agreement with them to the contrary. So, yeah, I think you have to explicitly state it's public domain uh, for it to be public domain in this country. Yeah, so, no, no, I, did, I meant, like, in Germany, I, I remember Fab talking to this before on Linux Outlaws. I remember, I'm pretty sure he said there is no such thing as public domain in Germany. You, it has to either be copyright or likes of Creative Commons or whatever, I, I, you know, G, a software under the GPL, etc., Oh, I see. Yeah, I, well, that's a good question. I always assumed public domain had a meaning in the UK, but now you come to mention it, I think that's an assumption of mine that needs checking. Yes, it is. Right, uh, do we have any more stuff for that, or are we going to carry on with that tune? It's up to yourself. Well, I think uh, I think uh, we best move on to a, a tune, um, and it's a tune named after... Uh, an amber substance which is uh, very close to my heart and also Kevy's, although it's spelt wrong in this, it's not the right kind of whiskey. This is whiskey with an E lullaby featuring Jeanette uh, Robertson, Robertson, and it's from the album Monometric by Cognitif. <laughs> I'm doing fine on my way. By the way, heard you've been asking. So am I. The only way to find my love is simple remedy. Truth you find the only way 
enjoyed that and uh, while the track was playing uh, Kevy and I were discussing uh, what I mentioned at the beginning that it's spelt with an E and we both agreed as Scots that it's quite good to have the E in whiskey to show when it's not a proper sort of a whiskey as in a Scottish whiskey don't you think Kevy? Oh I would wholeheartedly agree with that yes indeed Uh, I don't believe that I believe anything outside of Scotland that's been made any whiskey outside of Scotland is just uh, not the real stuff you know I mean, the imitations will be there, but it's it's not the real stuff. And now that we've lost 90% of our listeners, shall we move on? <laughs> yes, i just like to say that there are some Irish whiskies and a few American ones that I do like, but I have to say I am loyal to my Scottish whiskies. Anyway... Well, I'd like um, to say the same thing, but I'd be lying, so... Yeah. <laughs> okay, no, it's fine, to be honest. Um, now, uh, we've got uh, this next uh, piece uh, is on something called Crow, which uh, is developed, a piece of software developed by somebody who was on Identica and now uh, the Fediverse called Bijan. And I'd like to wish Bijan a very happy Persian New Year because he's from Iran and I'm half uh, uh, Iranian, my, or Iranian, I should say. My mother was from Iran. Um, and I haven't seen Bijan denting recently, but if you're still out there, Bijan, you get to hear about this, do uh, do say hello to us uh, over in the the status net fediverse. Anyway, Kevy, uh, how did you get on with Crow? Well, to be honest, I didn't actually hear of it before, so which is odd because I actually subscribe to Bijan as well. But I just actually was typing in, thinking, you know, I really do. I, I'm not a big fan of the. I, I don't mind it, but I prefer having a client. And I found, discovered this one on GitHub Crow, and it was, I didn't know anything about it, so I didn't actually know it's a, it's a web, web-based client, so it's still in your web, but I just thought, right, let's give this a try, because there are very few that will actually work for StatusNet, and the few that you can modify a wee bit still keep to Identica's 140 character limit, so it drives me bananas. So I was looking for something, and I found this one. Now, it was very simple to install, there was, there's very few dependencies. I had a wee look at it and 
I can't remember. I think it's just a case of it's a couple of Python ones. Uh, Python pip and Python notify. And I think that's it. And I had both of them installed anyway. And what was the other thing? There was something else. Um, Tornado. Something called a Tornado. So I installed... I don't think I had Tornado actually installed. But uh, I installed that. And then it's a case of just simply running the wee Python script that's there. And it starts to kind of run a server. Oh, no, no, sorry. Before that, there's something else I need to do. You need to go... There's a configuration file. And in that configuration file, you have to say... You have to edit where the... where it is you want to point to. So by default, uh, it points to Quitter. So you just have to go in there and change quitter to whatever you're on so in my case it was microfragdev.com so that was just a very quick uh nano uh pseudo nano command and i changed that and then had it up and running now it doesn't run like a normal client as such where you would say a desktop client because once you actually run the python command it says right it gives you a uh an address which is well it's different for every time you actually log on and it says please uh, open this up in your browser so you opened up in any browser you want it's worked for me in firefox and cmonkey and it just gives you a username password entry so you type that in and you're greeted with a very nice simple and clean interface you've got a kind of grayish bar at the top which is for your uh, for obviously to choosing what you want to view. So you've got your home page, your home timeline, the public timeline. You can reply. You can look at your own uh, posts. And from every post, you can then reply. You can retweet or you can retweet. Woohoo. I'm on danger territory there. You can uh, repeat it or you can favorite it. Uh, now, that's pretty much all it is. But the one thing I did quite like, where it kind of brings it a bit more into the into your desktop rather than just being a basically a web page, is it does interact with your notifications. So if you get a direct reply, it will notify you uh, through the desktop, which I really did like. the The only one thing I would say, what I I would say, I would change that if I could, is that it's when it comes to posting the it's not immediately obvious i was looking for maybe a wee pen or something and and then i noticed there's in the top left there's my own user profile and you click on that so you can click on that and then that's uh it just turns a wee uh status box comes up you can type in it allows you to add things like smileys and things like that uh, it also gives you a uh, URL shortener, I think it's bit.ly as far as I remember, and just click on send, and it works very well. The other thing that I quite liked about it was, and this is what I was doing, was you can, it automatically uh, switches to whatever size you change the, whatever width you change the browser to. So I was what I was actually doing was I was making it, be a tab on its own and then uh, it would just end up looking almost like a desktop interface uh, like I said overall I was very happy with it I quite like it I, I think I'll keep on using it 
the the only one oddity I had was that it, one of the times uh, when I started started it up, I don't know why it's only happened the once, it never happened again, was that it loaded up my timeline no problem. But then any other timeline, new posts didn't go to the top. They went to the bottom and they started going in reverse order. So as they were coming in, they were actually pushing my oldest ones, kept on pushing them further down. And it was it, it made for a really hectic timeline in reading. But I must admit, apart from that, uh, like I said, kudos to the guy. I really did like this. The one thing that I would like to have seen... Uh, different was I don't think there was any way of inserting a picture into it. You know, like you can on an awful lot of the clients. There was no way of putting an attachment or anything. So, I mean, no big deal. You, you can get around that. But uh, that was those are two things I would say maybe it needs a wee bit of work on. And the ability to insert a picture and the uh, posting, creating a new post, I'd like it to be a different icon rather than just your profile picture because I don't think that's immediately obvious, personally. Hmm, that sounds, uh, sounds quite uh, positive and interesting. I have to say, personally, I do almost all my uh, microblogging uh, and social online networking with uh, through my phone. Um, so I, I, apart from a wee dabble with Identicurse and a tiny test of Chocock some well, years ago, uh, I've not really felt the need for anything on my desktop. I'll just use the web browser if I have to. But uh, from what you just described, I think Crow is uh, worth a go. Uh, and so you think you'll be using it uh, uh, on a fairly regular basis for a while? I think so. Uh, yes, I do think so. The, Like I said, I would actually quite like to maybe get it so that it, right now I, what I do is I opened up in a browser on its own and leave that browser running completely independently so there's no more tabs or anything on it. Uh, I would like to maybe get to the point where I just maybe write a wee thing so that it opens up on a on like a browser with absolutely no uh, I could describe it a uh, browser with no decoration or anything so almost just like an HTML5 kind of application. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. that's well. I wonder then how much work it would be to get it working in something like Firefox OS. Well, that was the next thing I was thinking about, purely because uh, I've been I've recently received a Geeks Phone Revolution, and I have been using it, and I really have been missing a client for that. So I'm hoping this will actually work, uh, although. Like I said, not so sure how easy it's going to be to install Python on the Geek's phone. <laughs> so I wonder how much work it's going to be. I, do, I don't know. I think maybe if you were a coder, you know, like an enterprising coder like yourself now, you know, I think it probably wouldn't be too difficult. But uh, for me, who has no coding experience, I think I'd be quite a struggle. <laughs> I have compiled Firefox OS a couple of times, although I've never used it. I've always just sent the builds to Jezra, who uh, then complains... Uh, bitterly about how uh, not very good his uh, ZTE device is, um, with some justification. Uh, but I suspect, having looked at the build process, that getting Python, the Python bit of it to work, is not trivial at all. It would be quite difficult. Uh, I imagine Jezra could comment more upon that uh, too. Yeah, that's it. Well, maybe we should actually get him on to it. But then again, this is a family show. We might have to kind of lose the family-friendly tag for that one show. (laughs) 
That's fine. We could have a Jezra special edition that uh, that uh, gets <laughs> gets flagged as uh, uh, as uh, this is going to be more uh, more interesting language and less family friendly than usual. Yeah, we might have to. Yeah, yeah. I think that really stand a totally separate thing. <laughs> indeed. So, time for another tune. Yes, indeed. And as I said, I would uh, wholeheartedly recommend anybody tries that one. So if you if you can go check it out, it's the only uh, place I can find it was on GitHub. So it's not got a website of its own unless it's just me missing it completely. But then again, I'm, maybe I'm just not that observant. Right then. So this is uh, uh, an artist that I'm going to apologise to if she's listening because I'm going to get this completely wrong. It's Olga Silkova. Silkova. I'm going to go with that. With I miss you.
Cause you are the one I miss you Every time I wake up Your kisses always tell you deep in my heart You're here now And somehow Oh thank you for every night I miss you And it was a heavy heart and a tear in the eye that this brings us to the last section of the show. But in saying that, before we actually leave, we do have uh, some feedback, uh, mostly from uh, the Fediverse, to be honest. I don't think I got much on Twitter at all, because I was double-checked, and I don't think so. And as far as emails go, no, I don't care how much wealth you have. I'm not sending you 3,000 so you can give me 2 million back. This seems to be getting regular on my uh, Unseen Studio account, which is probably a good thing, because it just shows Tux Jam's maybe making some headlines. <laughs> We're starting to get spam mail. Yay! Yes, yeah, spam followers. Well, they're followers of a kind, I suppose. Well, that's it, you know. So you know, who knows if, if they're if they're taking note? Then clearly, we're probably appearing on a few more lists. <laughs> <laughs> right then. So the two bits of feedback that I can remember from last month, and that was uh, Chocolom. Uh, he uh, was saying that he enjoyed the last show and he was thanking us, and it's always nice to get that. That's very appreciative. And also, he suggested. How about the new Android messaging apps like Whisper Systems and Tox.im? Uh, yeah, I I might have a slight problem with that, given my old phone kind of died, and I'm currently using uh, Geek's Phone Revolution. So I'm I'm at the, at present I am on Firefox OS more or less a hundred percent. Although to, no, to be fair, actually I've got a tablet. Yeah, we could still try that. Maybe just not quite as convenient as it once was. Yeah, okay, I, I've still got my uh, Android phone here, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I apologise to Chocolum, thanks for the suggestion, but until I checked today, i completely forgotten he'd made it, though I think I did see it at the time. Uh, but yes, that's, a, that's one to, to look at. Uh, uh, I, I'm not sure I've ever used any messaging apps before Text Secure, did I use that for a while? But anyway, let's have a look at them, and also check out some uh, apps on F-Droid that may fit the bill as well, have a look at that too. Yes, indeed. And the other person who did a very good job, actually, pointing out... Well, he first of all said that we had so, there was some fine music and he especially liked Proleta. So that was uh, your choice. So yes, good choice there. And this was our yeah, seventh. Yeah, I was, I was a bit surprised, because that, that started off a, a number of people in the Fediverse and over in Friendica, uh, where R7 hangs out as well, um, 
all saying, ooh, ooh uh, that sounds good, that Proletar stuff. I just assumed it was everyone knew about it and I was the last one to know about it. Uh, uh, but it seemed to be the other way around. Uh, it seems like not that many people had heard of Proletar. So, oh well, there you go. Sadly, it shows a lack of, lack of dedication to Jamendo and the Bugcast because they've played them quite regularly on. So yeah, so yeah, if you if you like good music, go check out both these. The Bugcast's a show, and Jamendo is a site where we actually get most of our music from. Uh, all of it is released under Creative Commons, so we can't complain. And yes, we've also got a big thank you to R7 who pointed out that we made a mistake in the show notes last time. And we actually put the tracks listing for episode 29 instead of doing the new one for episode 30. And now, as it's yourself, Andrew, has been doing the tracks, I said it at the time on FragDev. I says, I don't care how many mistakes you make, you're not getting out of doing the show notes. <laughs> yes, I know. I hang my head in shame at attempting that. But in all honesty, um, it, I thought it was, I made a cut and paste error. Uh, it wasn't deliberate at all, not my attempt to get out of it. Actually, what I did was I looked at the list of tracks that you'd left for Turkish Jam 29 and I put all the work in of copy and paste and going to the web page, getting the artist names and, you know, it wasn't a copy and paste thing. I actually rebuilt them all and completely failed to notice while I was doing it that, that all the tracks were the same as the previous shows, except for the last one, which was my new track, the Pro Leader one. Um, and and I, 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 for a while I was totally confused as to how I'd done that, but it was... Uh, Dufferness, you know, nod to the Duffer cast. Yes, it's my Dufferness showing through. But many thanks to R7 for uh, for setting me straight on that. Uh, an excellent uh, proofreader. If anyone needs the services out there, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, yes, indeed. And if you want to actually follow either of those, Chocolums on microfragdev.com and uh, R7's on indie.im, and he's R7 there. So yeah, that, I suppose that's one of the one of the slight annoyances actually of Identica being a bit more federated. The old Identiverse is the fact that it's not so easy just to go and search for somebody, but you can get them in the end. <laughs> but uh, speaking of searching, if you want to search for ourselves, then well, we've got there. First of all, Unseen Studio has got an account on Fragdev on Identica, which I think is now dead, as far as I'm concerned. I don't post anything to it, and. Uh, it's also got one on Join Diaspora and Twitter. But those are just announcement sites. Uh, you know, don't have a yarn to us. Somebody actually said that they, they, they've replied to us the other day on Twitter. And I says, oh, don't do that. I says, reply to me or Gordon, one or the other, or yourself if you want a response. Because uh, nobody really monitors that one. That's just more announcements. So if you want to follow, uh, well, certainly myself and Andrew are on microfragdev.com. And I am at Kevy, and Andrew is at McNalu. I'm also on uh, diaspora.net.gr and Twitter. On Twitter, I am at Kevy4949. So, uh, yeah, I'll pass you over to Andrew because he's on various other sites as well. Yes, I still occasionally check uh, Identica McNalu there uh, as well, but... You know, probably I, if you t- talk to me there, I wouldn't have any way of knowing it unless I happen 
see it by chance. Another place that I, that uh, I do like to use is still uh, courtesy of uh, our friend R7 is uh, friend.elsmuscles.net which is a friendly site and I'm called McNallu there. Um, and also you'll find R7 there. Uh, he's Paul Taylor on that same site so you can find him there as well. And he's encouraging me to try out Red Matrix which might make an appearance in a, an upcoming uh, uh, Tux Jam uh, if I actually get around to start using it, that is. Um, yes, so, uh, and you can find a McNally on Twitter, but there's really no point talking to me there because I don't do anything with Twitter, really. Yes, and if you want to go, go down the old-fashioned route of email, then we do have an email, and it is tuxjam at unseenstudio.co.uk. And please, in fact, do, uh, if you feel that, well, uh, you want to leave us feedback or... Maybe you want to suggest a tune. I mean, as long as it's Creative Commons, I don't mind. Then, uh, and also as well, uh, an open source application you want us to try. So any of those reasons, or just to say hello. Uh, like I said, the only British people I really don't want to see are people who are saying that they are wealthy, that I'm an heir to some wealthy person who's died, and if I'll forward them a few grand, they'll give me millions. Really, I'm not falling for that one. Come on now. Yes, quite right too. And uh, finally, just uh, another uh, shout out to the the, commu- the nice community that is on HPR. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, maybe we'll do another one sometime, and I plan to do some HPR episodes on my own geeky stuff at some point. Um, but uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Yes, and if you like it, then we are on unseenstudio.co.uk and just search there for TuxJam. And uh, now we've come to the end of the show, we're going to play out with what Kevy warns me is likely to send you to sleep. That's usually my job, is to come up with a track that will relax you and send you to sleep. He's described it as being slightly Muzaki. I don't think that's the word he used, but I interpreted that. Uh, but we'll say it's in the, in the upper echelons of Muzak, which I like. Uh, and it's DJ Rostage, uh, uh, The Long Road from the album Old Letters. So sit back and relax and enjoy that. And we shall see you on the next Tux Jam. Goodbye.
You've been listening to a member of the Unseen Studio Podcast Network. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.